will say this, the last time I preached, December 29th, okay, I made a statement. The statement I made was, you know, uh, let, me, let me preface that by saying this. Before I came on staff, I was watching services online. I was watching services online and I was like, so Chris Decker preached and one day he said something about every time he preaches, the University of Georgia loses. And I said, okay. So when I got in the pulpit the first time, December 29th, the, the Bulldogs were set to play Baylor the following weekend. And I made a statement that said, if the Bulldogs lose, I won't preach anymore during football season. I, I did say that, right? I did, right? And so I just want to let you know, man, if you have an idol in your life like I did, the Georgia Bulldogs was an idol in my life. God just took that statement, that request that I made and said, hey, I'm not going to preach anymore during football season. And he just shut football down altogether, you know. He's like, you're going to make that statement. We just won't have football this season, right, type deal. So SEC, ACC, Big 12, please hold out. We need football, okay. But uh, anyway, so, but I look to you this morning, there is two things that I do love, uh, you know, to watch on TV. I love the UFC. I love it. I, I love, I, I, I don't really like the before the match, all the cussing and swearing and all that stuff about each other. But man, once they walk down that aisle and they get into octagon and they lock that octagon up and they say, man, it's time to battle. Man, I, I love it. I'm just telling you, I love it when they, man, throw punches and stuff. That's just me, you know? And so anyway, and Bruce Buffer, you know, he gets the, the microphone and he, he gets his red face. He gets his, he starts yelling, you know, and to the top of his lungs, veins are popping out of his neck. His face is red as a fire truck. And he, he says these words. He says, it's time. And he jumps up and down and the place just erupts, right? It goes crazy because it's time for battle. I like that. I like college football. I love the University of Georgia, but I just like college football in general. Love college football. I love it when you go to a stadium, the band's playing, two teams run out on the field. Man, it's time to get it on between, between the hedges. I'm a Georgia fan. That's the only games I go to. So anyway, but if I'm watching on TV, the atmosphere, you can just tell it is electric. Why? Because there's about to be a showdown. Well, in today's scripture, 1 Kings 18, that's what we're looking at. There's a battle. There's about to be a showdown. And so I want you to get that, uh, that glimpse today. So I've entitled today's sermon from 1 Kings chapter 18 in the first verse, would you still trust the Lord if you were the only one left? Would you still trust if you were the only one left? If you were the only one left in Warner Robins, all your classmates, all your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends have turned away from the faith. They're pursuing idols. They're pursuing godless things. You're the only one left that loves God. Would you still trust him? Or would you join the other side? Because the pressure is too great. I'm the only one left. I'm alone. Persecution's heavy. Man, is it worth it? That's a question I want you to answer today from 1 Kings chapter 18. And so as we look today, I want you to, to think about this. Let me put it in context. I'm gonna start kind of in chapter 16. If you're on your devices, turn. you don't have to turn there. I'm just gonna kind of tell you what happens. At the end of 16, so for at the end of 
chapter 16, there's been a bunch of kings, okay? For 60 years, six decades, there's been king after king after king after king after king after king that has drifted far away from the Lord. Each time, possibly a little bit farther. Each time, possibly a little bit farther. So in at the end of chapter 16, we see that Ahab, Ahab, the king of the son of Amri, began to rule over Israel. And it says this, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then the very next sentence is he married Jezebel. And so he married Jezebel, the daughter of the king of Sidonians. He began to worship Baal and he built a temple and an altar to Baal in Samaria. He then built an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord than any other kings before him. So all the kings that were before him, he did more to anger the Lord than any one before him. And then we come to chapter 17. So God tells Elijah, he says, hey, I want you to go to King Ahab and I want you to tell him that there's not going to be any more rain. So Elijah in 17 comes before Ahab, the king, and he says, hey, man, hey, king, I just want to let you know there's not going to be any rain for three years. As a matter of fact, there's not even going to be dew on the ground in the morning until I say so. And then he departs. So he's had this conversation with King Ahab that there's not going to be any rain. There's going to be a famine for three years. And then all of a sudden, he goes off to this brook Cherith. Cherith, however you want to say it. One Bible I looked at, one version said K-E-R-I-T-H. The other one said C-H-E-R-I-T-H. So however you want to say it, he goes to this brook Cherith. And there, he drinks from the brook and he is fed from the ravens. Now, I want you to understand something. The raven in Deuteronomy was considered unclean, but God used this bird to feed one of his prophets. So God can use anybody. God can use anybody no matter where your status, no matter what your, your economic status is or anything. God can use anybody. He used an unclean animal to feed Elijah in chapter 17, okay? What the law deemed unclean, God used in a mighty way. Bread and food, or bread and meat, day and morning, it says, the scripture says, the ravens brought him food. But then, day after day, okay, follow along with me, day after day, the brook, maybe the flow of water starts getting a little lighter. Starts getting a little lighter. No rain, no dew, and the brook just starts getting a little lighter, 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 till it's maybe just a drop. Elijah has nothing left, nothing to drink. God told him to go to this brook Cherith, and then the water dries up. So then God sends him to Zarephath in Sidon and says, you will see a widow there. So in chapter 17, he goes to Zarephath, and there he finds a widow and her son. And he's out there, and she's doing her chores that morning. She's going out, and Elijah sees her, and Elijah says these words to her. Will you please make me some bread? And the widow looks at Elijah and says, no, I only have a little bit in the pot left for flour, and I only have a little bit of oil left. The, I, I can't. We will run out. If I make you bread, then we will run out. And he says this, trust God. I'm a prophet of the Lord. He's telling me that it will not run out. Okay? 
Chapter 17 continues on. She feeds him, makes him bread, and never runs out. Everything's going great. He's praising the Lord, and then all of a sudden, the widow's son dies. And what does she do? When the widow's son, it says the, the scriptures say, he became breathless. He had no breath left in his body. He passed away. So what happened? Said the, said the, and what she do? She goes to the blame game. She looks at Elijah and she says, if you wouldn't have came, my son would still be living. Because you came, now my sins, God knows my sins, thus my son is dead. This is what Elijah says. Elijah says, give me the boy. Give him to me. So she gives this lifeless boy to Elijah. Elijah goes upstairs, the scriptures say, probably up on top of the roof, puts the boy down, lays on top of the boy, prays, and it says breath entered back into his body in Zarephath. And then we pick up right here in chapter 18. So Elijah, you say, Jason, why do you say that? Because in my, in my reading of the scriptures, I believe this. I believe God was preparing Elijah at the brook, the Cherith Brook. When it ran out, he was preparing Elijah for ministry. And then he was preparing Elijah for ministry at Zarephath when things happened. When the, the son died and he trusted the Lord, I think he was preparing God for what was coming in 18. So Elijah had to fully depend and fully trust in the Lord with everything that he had. For food, for water, for bringing someone back to life, for food at Zarephath, that those, the flour and the oil would not run dry. And so we pick up in 18, and we're going to look through 39 verses this morning. I'm going to go very, very quickly. But I'm not going to read all 39 and then pick the verses apart. I'm going to go in sections. So the first thing we see this morning in 1 Kings 18, we see this, Elijah's conversation, Elijah's conversation with Obadiah. You're going to say, who in the world is Obadiah? I'm about to tell you, okay? But let's read the scriptures 1 through 15 very, very quickly. It says, later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will send rain. I will soon send rain. So listen to me. You got Elijah, right? I'm going to stop right here. We got Elijah Three years, three and a half years prior, he's going to Ahab saying, there's not going to be any rain. Now God's telling him, hey, go back to Ahab and tell him there's going to be rain. There's going to be rain coming soon. So Elijah's like, okay, I'm on my way. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab in verse 2. Elijah went to appear before King Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace, Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. Once when Jezebel tried to kill all the, prophet, all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah hid a hundred of them in two caves. He put 50 in each cave and supplied them with food and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, we must check every spring and valley in the land to see if we can find enough grass to save at least some of my horses and mules. So they divided up the land between them. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went the other way by himself. As Obadiah was walking along, he suddenly saw Elijah coming toward him. Obadiah recognized him at once and bowed low toward the ground before him. Is it really you, my Lord Elijah, he asked. Yes, it is, Elijah replied. Now go and tell your master, Elijah is here. Oh, sir, Obadiah protested. What harm have I done to you that you are sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? 
For I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched every nation and every kingdom on earth from end to end to find you. And each time he was told, Elijah isn't here. King Ahab forced the king, forced the, hold on, (laughs) I messed up. I can't see because these lights are glaring. Elijah isn't here. King Ahab forced the king of the nation to swear to the truth of this claim. And now you say, go and tell your master, Elijah is here. But as soon as I leave you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you away. And who knows where? When Ahab comes and cannot find you, he will kill me. Yet I have been a true servant of the Lord all my life. Has no one told you, my Lord, about the time when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets? I hid a hundred of them in caves and supplied them with food and water. And now you say, go and tell your master Elijah is here. Sir, if I do that, Ahab will certainly kill me. But Elijah said, I swear by the Lord Almighty in whose presence I stand that I will present myself to Ahab this very day. You see Elijah's conversation with Ahab. So you see Ahab, you you see what type of king Ahab is in this text, in the first 15 verses. What What does King Ahab care about? He doesn't care about his people. He cares about his horses and his mules. He tells Obadiah, maybe, just maybe we can find enough grass so my horses can live and my mules can live. I don't care about my people. I care about my animals. That's what I care about. So you see what type of person Ahab was. But then Obadiah says, uh, Ahab says, let's go. I'll go this way. You go that way. So Obadiah runs into uh, Elijah and they have this conversation. Incredible conversation. Ahab comes up. Or uh, Obadiah comes up, he sees him, he says, oh, Elijah's my Lord. And he bowed low to the ground. Elijah's like, yeah, it's me. It's me. And he says, hey, what I want you to do? I want you to go tell your king, go tell King Ahab that it's about to rain again. And Obadiah's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No. Uh-uh. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Why would you want me to do that? He says, have it. Man. We've looked everywhere for you. We searched this nation. We searched this kingdom. Everywhere we go, people say you're here, and then you just vanish. You're sending me to my death. Why in the world would I do that? No, 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 no. And then Elijah says, uh, Obadiah says he tries to prove his point even more by saying, "Don't, don't, don't you remember? Don't you remember when?" And haven't you heard about me? Man, I'm a follower of the Lord. And you're going to send me to my death? There was this one time, man, there was a hundred prophets. Jezebel wanted them dead, but I saved their life. I saved them. Why would you send me to my death? I put 50 in this cave. I put 50 in this cave. And I fed them food and water. Why would you send me to my death, Elijah? And Elijah said to him this. He said, listen to me. Go, for I swear by it to this day that I will stand before King Ahab today. And so you see an awesome conversation. I want to stop right here and just talk to you about Obadiah. Some scholars will look at you and say, Obadiah was kind of confused. Why would he be a devoted follower of the Lord, but yet work for the most wicked king in, in Israel's time before this? Why would he work for this king? Why would he serve this king? Obadiah was an awesome worker. It says he was in charge of the palace. He was like the the king's administrator. He was over everything in the palace. 
So he worked hard, but yet he loved Jesus. So, man, if you're in a position right now where you're like, man, I'm at my job, my job stinks, my boss is not a follower of the Lord, it's evil and weakness, wickedness, and all he's doing is, is trying to get personal gain, and he doesn't care about us, join Obadiah. That doesn't give you an excuse to not work hard. Man, work the best you can be. Show them Christ's love in your workplace. That's what Obadiah did in these first 15 verses. So you see that conversation between Elijah and Obadiah. In verse 16, we see Elijah's boldness with Ahab. So now Ahab comes out, and we're about to read about what happens in these next four verses. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so it is really you, you troublemaker of Israel. I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshiped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all of Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asher, and we, who supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. You see what happened here? Did you see Ahab's boldness? Or did you see Elijah's boldness with Ahab? Ahab comes up as a king. He's sticking his chest out and he's looking and he's like, so it is you. Finally, face to face, three years ago, you told me it wasn't going to rain. So now we finally meet face to face. You are a troublemaker of Israel. And Elijah looks back at him and says, no, man. I'm not the troublemaker. You and your family are the troublemakers. You are the ones that are sinning against the Lord. You are the one that took God's covenant that we made in Deuteronomy and you are, have abandoned it. You are the one that's worshiping graven images. You are the one that's worshiping idols. You are the one that's doing these things, not me. So it's your family that's caused all this trouble. This is the reason people are dying. This is the reason people are suffering. This is the reason your animals are dying because of this famine, because of you, not because of me. So you see this boldness. And then you see, he says, well, I'll tell you what, why don't we do this? Why don't you grab all the prophets, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, and let's meet up. Let's meet up at Mount Carmel and we'll have a little showdown. And what's interesting about that is Mount Carmel it's right by the Mediterranean Sea. So this is what you need to know. That is where the prophets of Baal, that is where the Asher poles, that's where they worshiped. So Mount Carmel is where their, that, that's their turf. This is their turf. So he's like, you know what? You can have home field advantage. Take it. We'll meet up at your place and let's go. And so he's bold with Ahab. And then the next thing we see is Elijah's call for the one true God. Elijah says, you know what? There's only one true God. So I want you to listen to this real quick. It says, then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls, the prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish, 
and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, lay it on the altar, lay it, lay it on the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. Then we'll call upon the name of God and I will call upon the name of the Lord. The God that answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agree. So let me tell you what's going on here. So basically there's kind of a, a thing where Elijah's like, you have to make a decision. You must make a decision. So if you want to follow the Lord God that I trust in, then follow him. But if you want to follow Baal, then follow him. But stop wavering, stop hobbling, stop, stop wavering in between two opinions. Follow one or follow the other. Stop being lukewarm. Do one or the other. And as Elijah, and Elijah challenges them, nothing. Complete silence. Nothing. You know something? We preach God's word. Every Sunday, Pastor Jacob does a great job preaching God's word. I'm trying my best to do the best job I can to preach God's word. Here's the deal. After the service, we call for commitment. Hey, stop wavering in between the decisions. Man, follow Christ or follow the world. Stop wavering. Most weeks after weeks, nothing but silence. Nothing but silence. Why? Because when we stay uncommitted, it's like we don't have to choose. We can stay uncommitted. Silence is the best thing to stay uncommitted. So I challenge you online. I challenge you here live. Man, trust in the one true God. The one that Elijah says is the one true God. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. Trust me, I know. I made it May 23rd, 1999, and I've never been the same. And then he says, you know what, you guys... This is what we're going to do. We're going to cut the bull up. We're going to lay it on the wood. We're going to put the wood on the altar. And we're going to call for the one true God. We're going to see who, whose God answers fire. The funny thing about it is Baal, <laughs> this is pretty funny. The God Baal that they were worshiping was the God of the storm. He was in charge of the rain. And it hadn't rained for three years. But yet they were still worshiping. Also, he's the God of the sun. So if he's the God of the sun, the big fireball in the sky, surely he can set fire to an altar. So they're agreed, man. They're like, yeah, let's do this. Because Baal can do this. There ain't no way Baal can't do this. But he hadn't sent rain in three years. He's like, well, if Baal's God, then, man, you can call out to him. If he says fire to it, good. If my God is God, we'll call out. We'll see who the one true God is. So Elijah calls for the one true God. And then probably my favorite part of this scripture, we see that God has a sense of humor in verses 25 through 29. Elijah's mocking of Baal. Elijah's mocking of, mocking of Baal. Let me ask you this. Do, do you like to be mocked? Do you like to be mocked? No. Let, let, me, let me tell you this, okay? Yesterday I got a text message. And it says, hey, what are you doing? And I said, nothing. What are you doing? And she said, nothing. She's like, do you want to go fishing? I said, yes, let me check. 
So I called my buddies and see if I could go fishing at their pond, right? So the Overcast family, which is right down here on the front row, Jordan, their girls, Meredith, my girl, and Eli, we all went fishing, right? And I took them to my honey hole that has a lot of fish. That I always catch fish. Yesterday, nothing. Nothing. Meredith, three. I got shut out. Meredith catches three fish. She mocked me all the way home. She mocked me. She bragged. Hey, look here. This is my honey hole. Look, another one, another one, another one. Really, I don't want to hear that. Jordan, one. So I got shut out. Eli got shut out. They caught fish. It's not fun to be mocked, right? So Elijah is mocking Baal here. I just wanted to kind of illustrate that for you before we got back to the scripture, okay? I didn't say that to the first service. So you've got something free today, all right? All right, here we go. Elijah's mocking of Baal, verses 25 through 29. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. They called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. They danced, they hobbled around the altar that they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a God. Perhaps he is daydreaming or relieving himself, or maybe he is away on a trip or sleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder. And following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords, swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, which is three o'clock. But still, no sound, no reply, no response. You see Elijah mocking them here? He even says, hey man, you got home field advantage. This is your turf. This is your altar. You got it. Y'all go ahead, do what you do. Get the bull, cut it up, put the wood on it, and y'all call for the one true God. Call for Baal to show up and start a fire. So they did. They did what Elijah asked. They got to go first. Nothing. Can you imagine that worship that went on that day? The dancing, shouting, doing their thing, right? Hey, come on, dance, dance, hobble around, doing whatever they want to do. Silence. Nothing. I kind of picture myself like Elijah. I probably would have made fun of him too. Hey, shout a little louder. Shout louder. He can't hear you. Shout a little bit louder. Matter of fact, he may be daydreaming. He may be thinking of something else. He's not even thinking of you right now. Still nothing. Hold on. He may be asleep. He's sleeping. How about you yell a little louder? Shout it. Still nothing. Well, maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's on a trip somewhere and he's just not thinking right now. Or maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe you just got to wait a little bit longer. Maybe let's just wait till he gets done in the bathroom and he'll come out and he'll start a fire. So you see Elijah up against a tree, just man, loving life right now. This is fun. You guys are kidding me. So not only are they doing that, they just start saying, okay, well, we got to do something more because 
Baal is just, he, he's not showing up. So we've got to do something more. So what do they do? Man, they get up the knives and swords. They start cutting themselves. So now, not only are they dancing, hobbling around, worshiping, and for three hours, for the next three hours, there's blood gushing everywhere. They're cutting themselves. What a worship service. You know what I mean? Boom, boom. Let me tell you something. You don't have to do that. The blood's already been spilt by Jesus Christ. You don't have to cut yourself. Man, Jesus spilled all the blood you'll ever need for your sins. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can stand forgiven. Because of his sacrifice, we can look to the one true God that loves us, as John 3, 16 says. And so he mocks them. So for six hours, you have this long, long, long worship service. Listen to me. I want you to hear this. It doesn't matter how long your worship service is. If you're worshiping a false god, the worship means nothing anyway. All you're doing is just spending time. The only time worship really matters is when you're worshiping the one true God. It doesn't matter how long a service is. It doesn't matter how long your prayers is. We're about to find that out in just a minute. Let your words be few. Elijah's prayer is 30 seconds or less. And you see what happens. Watch this. When you can trust in the one true God to show up, it's amazing. So the last thing we see in today's text is Elijah's trusting for God to show up. Nine verses real quick. It says this. Then Elijah called the prophets. Come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used those stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jugs of water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. They had done this. Then he said, do the same thing again. And then he said, and with water, now do it a third time. So they said, so they did. And he said, and the water ran all the way around and even filled the trench. At the usual time of offering even sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar, and here it is. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourselves. Immediately fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell down on the face. They fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So you see the showdown take place. Elijah stands before the people and says, hey, y'all come over here. Come here. I want to show you something. So he takes 12 stones because, listen, he's not going to do it on their altar. Could he have done it on that altar? Yes. But he says, my God's not even worthy of your altar. That's a messed up altar. You're worshiping false gods over there. I'm going to rebuild the altar of the Lord that you guys tore down, and we're going to show you what's up. So he takes 12 stones for the, the, the nations of Israel, the tribes of Israel. He puts them around. He rebuilds the altar, and he makes it a statue or an altar for the Lord. And he says, he dug a trench around it, and then he says this. Now listen, please listen to me. If you're going to go start a fire today, I would not recommend that you put water on it before you try to start it. If you wet the wood, the chance of it lighting is slim to none, right? Pour some like lighter fluid or some gasoline on it, you know, that's what starts the fire. Not water, 
And you say this, hold on, Jason, how, how did they get in the water? Didn't you say that the water was all dried up? There was a famine? Yes, but right down Mount Carmel, there was the Mediterranean Sea. You couldn't drink that water. It was undrinkable. So he had them go up the top of the mountain, go down, fill up some jars, come back up. Hey, now, now that's not enough. Let's go back down there. Go back down the mountain, come back up with the jars, pour it on there. Let's do it a third time. That's not enough. Go back down the mountain, and that's a hike. I've never been to Israel, but I mean, Mount Carmel, that's a hike. Somebody told me after the first service, man, it's a hike going up and down that mountain. Go back down a third time, bring it back up, fill it where the trench is all full. That's what he did. And then he says this prayer, less than 30-second prayer. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, show up. Show them that I'm your servant. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this so the people will know that you are the one true and living God. And they would turn from their wicked ways and trust you. So show up. Boom, just like that. Fire showed up, burnt the altar, licked up everything, licked up the water. I mean, just completely consumed everything. And the people fell on their faces and worshiped. God, listen to me. Man, when you have an encounter with Jesus, when you have an encounter with God, whether it's through a quiet time, whether it's through a worship service, man, when God speaks to your heart, when God speaks to you, there's nothing you can do when you're in the presence of an almighty God, a powerful God, there's nothing you can do but fall on your face and say, I worship you, Lord. You are worthy. I'm unworthy. I pray that you guys have those encounters through a quiet time, through our worship services. I pray that you're engaging with a holy God that loved you so much, not on this mountain, but on a mount called Calvary, where Jesus died for you and for me. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. Why? For us, so that we can stand forgiven. So we can have eternal life one day, but abundant life here on this earth. Man, I pray when you encounter a holy God, you just fall straight down and say, God, it is you. Five truths from this real quick. I know you're probably gonna write these down. Uh, try to write these down, but just go online and look at them because I'm gonna go quickly. Five anchors that I got from this passage that speak to my heart. When we, are in the, when we are sure we are in the will of God, we are unshakable. Man, if we know we are doing what God's called us to do, we can't be shaken. No matter what our circumstances is, no matter if the, the pandemic throws something our way, no matter if we get coping, if we know we are in the will of God, man, we're unshakable. Nothing can stop us. Divided loyalty is as wrong as open idolatry. Man, choose this day whom you're going to serve. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Who are you going to serve? You've got to answer that question. I just pray you won't be silent. I pray that you will stand up and say, us, we're going to follow the Lord as well. Our most effective tool is the prayer of faith, and our God answers our prayers. Our most effective tool as a Christian is praying praying that God would use us in a mighty way, praying that God would forgive us when we fail him, praying that God would open up doors so that we can share our faith, praying that God would just, man, magnify our lives and be used by him. Number four, never underestimate the power of one totally dedicated life. Never underestimate the power of one totally dedicated life. And listen to me, it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter if you're 70, 80, 90, 
It doesn't matter if you're 5, 6, 7, 10, 16, 20, 25. Never underestimate the power of one life sold out for Jesus Christ. And number five, the God of Elijah is the one and true living God that can be trusted all the time. This God can be trusted with your finances, trusted in your marriage, trusted in the middle of a pandemic, trusted in financial situations. This God can be trusted all the time. I pray that you know him. Here's some questions to ponder and then we're done. If you were the only Christian left in Warner Robins, I asked you this earlier. Would you stand tall and bold for the Lord or would you join the other side? Chances of that happen are maybe slim and none. But if you were the only one left, what would you do? Would you continue to serve the Lord no matter what it costs? It's a question you have to answer. Will you trust in the Lord like Elijah did? Elijah never wavered. No matter what God threw his way, man, he trusted God for everything. Trusted God for food, trusted God for water in both places, at Cherith and at Zarephath. So would you trust God like Elijah did? And the next thing you see is, can you relate like Obadiah? Seeing evil and wickedness all around you. Maybe you're working around the people. Maybe you're in class or school with a bunch of people that are wicked and evil. And you're like Obadiah, man. It's, it's hard for me to live my faith. I can see Obadiah right now. I can see the life that he lived in that evil kingdom. Will you trust? Are you like Obadiah? Do you need to trust, Lord? Like Obadiah and just live your life for him, even in the midst of evil and wickedness situations. And then lastly, is Christ, is Christ enough for you? Would you join me in prayer? Father, you're awesome. We thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Elijah's life, man, the, the boldness he had, Lord, and the, the truth that he lived out, the trust that he shared, uh, Lord, that showed in the midst of a dark situation. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, yet he stayed true and trusted you by faith that you were going to show up in a mighty way. So God, thank you for showing up in Elijah's life. I pray you'll show up in our life. Move like never before. Lord, I pray you would start a fire within our soul, a passion to love you, a passion to serve you, a passion to reach our community, to love, grow, and send, Lord, within us. We are your church. We are your people. Use us, Lord. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you're watching online. There's going to be a screen that comes up and you can text this. If you need to know Jesus in a real and personal way, you've never met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray that you would text saved. I'm, I'm going to give my life to Christ. I want to trust Jesus. Text saved for we can help you with that. We'll show you what it means to be saved. We'll contact you. And we'll get you on the schedule for baptism that we're going to have a baptism service soon. We would love for you guys to be a part of that. So if you need Christ, I pray that you would text in today. If you're here, we're opening up the altar today. The altar is open. Man, you come pray that God would use you. If you need to know Christ, we have a table back there. I want you to go back there and say, hey, I need to trust Christ. We'll get, uh, we'll get the computer. I wish we could talk one-on-one. -on -one. I wish I could lead you to Christ right down here at the altar. We can't right now because of COVID. But if you need Christ, then go back there. The ladies back there at the computer, you can fill it out, text saved or whatever. We would love to follow up with you as well. Maybe you're here and you just, man, you need prayer. Again, we wish we could pray as a group. We could come down to this altar and pray, but the altar's open. Pray for sin that's in your life. Pray for divided loyalty. Pray that God would 
just use you where you are, where you work, live, and play. That as we love, grow, and sin, man, that we would be the people of God that God's called us to be. Call out to Him today at this altar. If you're on that line, text Next Steps. We'd love to get you connected here at Shirley Hills Baptist Church. But what we want more than anything, we just want you to be obedient to the Lord. Whatever the Lord's calling you to do, do it. Whatever God wants from you, do it. If that's come down here pray, if that's next steps, getting and growing and loving and sending, do it. We just want you to be used mildly by our God.